Hi, I'm Ben. Hi, I'm Rob. We've been mates since we met at drama school in 2004. We're both actors, and for the last 10 years we've been working in all sorts of productions, from small fringe shows to big arena tours. We love the theatre, so we thought we would make a podcast to bring you a series of inspiring conversations with interesting people from the world of theatre. So this is our podcast. Welcome to Inside the West End. Inside the West End with Ben Morris and Rob Copeland. Thank you for downloading episode 29 of Inside the West End. Follow us on Twitter at Inside West End. Find our page on Facebook, Inside the West End Podcast. And if you want to get in contact, you can email Inside the West End at gmail.com. Coming up in this episode, we speak to Dan Clarkson, co creator of Olivier nominated Potted Potter, which for those of you who don't know, is all seven of the Harry Potter books played out on stage by two people in 90 minutes. Not to mention Potted Panto, which was also nominated for an Olivier Award. Now, a couple of things before we get into the chat. It costs me and Rob money to make this show, and we give it away to you for free. Now, if you do your online shopping with Amazon, then you can support our podcast at no extra cost. Here's how. Visit InsideTheWestEnd.com. Click on any of the Amazon ads. That'll bring you directly to the Amazon site. Then carry on shopping. Again, it'll cost you exactly the same as normal, but we get a little kickback from Amazon as a thank you. I mean, Christmas is fast approaching, folks, so Amazon's a great way to get that Christmas shopping done. Just make sure that you visit InsideTheWestEnd.com first. Next thing, in case you're not already aware, we now release this podcast every two weeks. Finally, I'm currently working away from London on the UK tour of The Commitments, so a bit like the episode with David Finn from School of Rock, this episode is just Rob doing the interview. And to be honest, it's one of my favourites so far. I'm actually raging that I wasn't around to meet Dan. Wait till you hear him tell his story. In terms of creating your own work and opportunities, this guy has just nailed it. Nailed it. He's seen it all. Prepare to be inspired. Here is our chat with Dan Clarkson. This is Dan Clarkson and you are listening to Inside the West End. Dan Clarkson, welcome to Inside the West End. Thank you for having me here. No problem. We've been trying to do this for, I want to say, years now. Yeah. At least 10. You're one of saying to to Ben via our uh, satellite communications earlier today that um, you have kindly supported our podcast from the very start and you've Love it. actively listened, and which is really, really nice. Yeah. Uh, and actually, you have been on our list from the very moment when we set it up. If we want to speak to, And I'm, honestly, you have. You have. <laughs> and then you got big hitters and it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. just pushing him down the yeah, list. Yeah, yeah. When then Tim Minchin came and we thought, mm. well, well, we'll forget Dan for a while. Yeah, that's fine. That's okay. To be bumped for Tim Minchin, <laughs> I can live with that. <laughs> so, Dan Clarkson. Hello. Creator of Potted Potter. Mm-hmm. Star of Potted Potter. Your production, Olivier-nominated production, oh yes, Potted Panto, is yeah. returning to London's glittering West End this Christmas. Yeah, how does that feel to have it coming back? It, it's exciting. It's when we first did it, we were the first pantomime to come into the West End for about ten years, I think. So we brought it back. I mean, now we're up against the Palladium Panto. There's the old Vic. I don't want to say we started the trend. But essentially... They've copied you. They've copied us. Mm. They've copied, you know. And are your budgets on a similar... 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, come and see me and Jeff playing all the characters on top of another show at the Garrick, or go to the Palladium, and you probably it'd be hard to tell the difference. Mm. You know, you could do like the Coke test on it, and yeah. no one would be really sure which one they saw. Before we get into <laughs> the proper uh, nitty gritty yeah. of the potted world, which involves potted Potter, yeah. potted Panto, potted pirates, potted Sherlock. Yep. Before we get into that, okay. I want to take you right back and ask you about the young Dan. Okay. I'm the eldest of four. My dad was always actually in the theatre. Um, he was a stand-up comic. Then my mum got pregnant and my grandparents went to him, yeah, you probably need to get a real job now. And so he went to M&S and said, can I have a real job? And they went, we need someone to host some fashion shows for us. And he did that. And then they went, do you want to just work in our office? And then he worked his way up. So he was always a sort of wannabe actor. Right. And as other parents or other dads took their kids to football matches, my dad, I'd go and sit in rehearsals with him and watch him do pantomime and watch him. I remember him playing Wurzel Gummidge at the Hampstead Garden Suburb Players. And so for me, that was normal. And that's what you did is... You went and you performed and pretended to be different people. And I remember as a five-year-old kid in school writing scripts for people to perform in and also not being able to be in them because I was behind on my maths work. But I'd write them and I'd sort of half direct them and then half do my maths. And the teacher was like, look, finish the maths and you can be in it. I was like, yeah, 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 no, 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 I'll just get this going. It'll be fine. Yeah. And so I was sort of involved with it young. And I think it was, I was John in Peter Pan when I was about eight. And I was sitting with my dad in the car, and he was like, well, you know, this could be your job. And I was like, no, 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 this is what we do for fun. You don't get paid to this. He goes, no, no, they pay people. And it was from then on, I either wanted to be an actor or a Disneyland character. <laughs> I thought that was a great job. <laughs> and I went to Disneyland. As in dressed said, as one. Literally dressed guys. as one, yeah. I've always wanted to go behind the scenes and see in the room where yeah. they keep all of those costumes. That would be freaky, wouldn't it? With just the heads. And yeah. they must all be on shelves somewhere yeah, in a big room. Mm. And would you try them all on? Yeah. Would you? Yeah. And who would you gravitate towards, the costume which fits you best or the character you want to be? Which would you go for? I'm Jasmine. Now. I'd look Jasmine. sensational as Jasmine. <laughs> Not a second's thought. You Jasmine. Come out. Well, I was going to say Aladdin, so we could do like a whole whole new world thing. Yeah. We could do the carpet. I'd keep my beard, though. I'd insist that I was Jasmine with a beard. Yeah, I think that's fine. Yeah. I think in this day and age, that's acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> so, siblings? I've got... Um, two brothers and a sister actually um i'm the oldest then brother down for me sam he's actually uh, he's sound designer on murder ballad at the moment so he's just done that and installed that in which and stars future uh, previous guest carrie ellis yes right. yes yeah i'm going to see it tonight ah. once we've done this i'm going to go and watch it at the back with him and then he also put the sound in on the um harry potter and the cursed child as well right oh so, wow yeah. a real potter theme there. oh yeah so do you, he, do you he knows you you probably inspired him there i like to think so yeah and i also think he probably hasn't told of anyone of the connections so he could hold on to the job and not say oh yeah my brother does the potted potter you know that don't you guys yeah. and he'd be like yeah you can go now thanks yeah. He's yeah. Like, okay bye <laughs> so is, is any part of you we're not gonna i'm gonna properly get into potted potter later but yeah. as you've just mentioned the cursed child has any part of you considered adding to the show that exists for Potted Potter yeah. and including that story? We did think about it and we haven't at the moment, mainly because, and we did the same when we put book seven into the show, we waited a long time because our show comes from a place of love and we're big fans. What we don't want to do is spoil it for the yeah. fans. And especially at the moment the show's touring North America, very few people have managed to get over yet to see The Cursed Child and it hasn't come across there. So the last thing we want to do is be these two British guys going, it's alright, we'll tell you the whole story. Yeah. And everyone's going, oh come on, we want to see it. Going, no, 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 we'll do it for you. And you know, it's real delusions of grandeur to think that we could do a better job than the show at the Palace at the moment for telling people. So, theatre 
it really has been in your life from the moment you the earliest memories. I didn't memories. have a choice. I wanted to be an accountant, but I just wasn't given a choice. I was just forced to be an actor. So your brothers also ended up in. Oh that. yeah, he's sound. And then my youngest brother Tom is. Um, he directs commercials and music videos. Oh, and I've got a sister as well because that's horrible <laughs> that I haven't mentioned her. Yeah, especially if they listen to it. Yeah, and she goes, "Any minute it's going to be my turn." Mm. But she's very, very clever and isn't in the arts, but could have been. She was the most talented out of all of us. But she's gone and she makes money in corporate world. One of my questions later down the line was: What's the what, do you, looking back at your education? Was there a moment where you see the early seeds of? Uh, the creative part of your brain yeah. creating your own work but really you've already mentioned it the fact you did it when you were five you were yeah. writing for panto i was sort of doing well i'm um and i've learned lots about this i'm slightly dyslexic which i've now been told means your creative brain goes on immediate recovery of every other part of the brain that's not really working and the reason they found this out was i must have been 16 is that when you do gcse yep. 15 16 and we were having to read macbeth in school and because it was sight reading, and I'm awful at it, I started to just make up Shakespeare and improvise. And it took the teacher three or four lessons to go, hold on a minute, this isn't the text he's making. And I was doing it in rhyming stanza and making it up and it all fit. Mm -hmm. And then that's when she was like, yeah, he's been fooling me now for a week, but I think he's making up Shakespeare, which is quite good. But And then they sent for tests and went, yeah, he might be a bit dyslexic. Um, that which was good, because up until then, me being a bit older, it was just called Lazy. Yeah. So it was nice to have another name for it. Does that make sight reading in auditions? It's tough? horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrible. It's. I mean, you try and get it in advance as much as you can, but then there's times, I mean, somewhere out there are some horrible videos of me stumbling across and making things up and having the script writer sat there while you're going, who does he think he is making up my words? He doesn't think my words are good enough that he's making his own up. And you almost want to go, it's just I'm not very good at reading your words. <laughs> this was a big word you use. I only do monosyllables. Yeah. <laughs> so your dad suggests to you that you should consider being an actor. That's primary school age that happens. Yeah. So then tell me about the teenage Dan. He's. Um, I think I was, as I'm sure most actors were, I could make people laugh. I was awful at sports of any kind. Yay, sports. So what I found is to integrate is I can make people laugh. I could trip over a football in a Charlie Chaplin manner and ever go, oh, Dan, isn't he great? I was like, yeah, guys. And so I was one of these floaters who was friends with everyone. I want to say like Ferris Bueller, but Ferris Bueller's cool. I wasn't in any way cool. I was six foot one when I was like 12 and had an Afro haircut before I learned you could get wax to calm it down a bit. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I guess it's life is performing, isn't it? You must have done that. I don't know. Maybe you yeah. were really popular at school. I wasn't. No. I don't think I was. I've never anyway. met an actress gone, yeah, I was really popular. I yeah. was the big man on campus and everyone loved me. And then eventually you are looking into training. Yeah. You're looking into life post education. Yeah. So... How did you get from that to that? My parents actually, even though they were in the arts, were trying to push me away from it and got to GCSE and they go, well, look, you do a lot of drama out of school. Don't do it for your GCSEs. Why don't you try history or geography? And always that idea of have a fallback option. And I think it got to my A-levels and I was still wanting to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I did drama A-levels and I remember I did Accidental Death of an Anarchist at the end of it. My dad came to see it and he said which is a really nice moment. He came up and said for the first time, that's where he went, right, okay, yeah, you can do this. I believe there's a career in this because I was playing the maniac. And, and again, our drama department wasn't great. There were three of us taking drama at school. 
again, you know, back in those days where drama wasn't a big deal, as it seems to be now that it's growing and I know they're trying to take the money out of it, but people are trying to make it a big thing. At the time, it was three of us in an old drama hall that had three parkan lights and a fallen down curtain. And our teacher came in and went, yeah, you're going to do Accident, Death and Anarchist, have a read. Two weeks later, none of us had learned it. Going, you're putting it on tonight. And I remember we literally bust and improvised our way through Dario Fo, which is an awful thing to say. But apparently it was quite good. But do you think that is partly responsible for how your career's gone? Yeah. I think, yeah, what, making things up as I go along yeah. and taking other people's work and shortening it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Ruining beautiful pieces yeah, of yeah. literature. Taking no. something that's great and making it really short. If you're in a three-person drama department which is underfunded, that must have been a huge part in being brave enough to write things which highlight your skills. I, th- I think so. And also this idea of you really had to go for it and you really had to make something happen. And no one was giving handouts and I'm not saying anyone does today but I always feel there's a sense of entitlement with younger people I've done a bit of teaching here and there where they're going well what is someone going to give to me Mm. whereas you know I trained at a time where it was like no one's going to give you anything if you don't go and do something and try and do it and be the jobbing actor who's ready to go and do TIE and go and set up sets and go and find the props you need then you're not going to make it no one's going to knock on your door and go hey I think as any taxi driver you get will say oh you know what you should be in EastEnders you're like really oh that's a good idea yeah yeah why don't you do that yeah I'll give them a call I'm sure and I'll tell them that you've said I should be in EastEnders it's uh, it's a painful reality of being an actor that yeah so you went uh, you finished school yep. tell me about drama school tell me about oh, training yeah, after I went to Bretton Hall mainly because it was the only one I auditioned, I did the whole audition process and paid my fees to have an audition at Bristol Old Vic at the time and Lipper and um, Rada and everything. And everyone said, get some more experience. You know, you're 18, you've come from the home counties, go and get some life experience. Whereas Bretton Hall, and to this day, and I won't say which tutor it was in case anyone, I'm sure he was drunk in my audition. I have no doubt he was. And I'm sure he just didn't remember me because I got in. And it was afterwards, I was like, there was nothing different I was doing other than this guy just kept on laughing, like Bella laughing, nearly fell off his chair. And then afterwards, I go, well, hopefully we'll see you in the new year. <laughs> I was like, great. <laughs> and so, yeah, they gave me a place. They're the only ones who went, you don't need to get life experience. And I was the youngest one in my year. So where did you grow up? What area? Um, home camp, Buckinghamshire. Okay. Uh, Chalfont and Latimer Station is our nearest station. Sure. Sounds very posh for yes. anyone who doesn't know what that is. Yes, yes. You know, we, we all out there, we all have double-barreled hyphen names and everything. It's lovely. Was it a, a privileged upbringing? Um, I think both my mum and dad... I'm first generation South. They both grew up uh, in Scotland, just outside of Glasgow, Mm -hmm. and didn't have lots. And I think worked really hard to try and give us everything. But there were times we were never given it. We were made to work like my first car. I remember working all summer while one of my friends was like, look at my new car and it's got a personalised number plate and it was just given to me. And I'm like, great. And I told mum and dad, they're like, right, well, when you earn yours. So they never let us. But there was always this safety net underneath that if we did need money or we did need something, it was there. Mm -hmm. But they never handed it to us on a plate. You know, which I think is good. Yeah, we learnt the value of money, especially as an actor. Yeah, I've I've often I often thought I've often met privileged um, performers mm. along the way, as you do, because it costs so much to go to drama yeah. school. And I do often think you've 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 missed out on having to fight for something, which yeah. is an inevitable part. No, and I think if you really want something Mm. and you really do and you're really working hard for it, you just appreciate it and work so much harder to get it, don't you? So how was drama school for you? 
it was brilliant. It was, I mean, it's, I wish I could go back now to me then and say, just enjoy every minute of this. This is just, it because there were people who were, for the first time in your life, you, everyone was your sort of type of person and everyone had the same interests as you and everyone wanted to perform and everyone was outgoing. And, you know, when you made a joke, people just didn't go, oh yeah, shut up. They went, oh brilliant, let's top that and we'll do something. And everyone wanted to perform and have fun and do the one thing you love. We were all very proud that the League of Gentlemen had just left a couple of years before. That was our big thing. So what happened when you graduated with agents and getting your first job yeah what was that whole period like that was crazy that was because i don't know if you've ever been to wakefield i haven't sadly no no. and i can tell you who also doesn't the london agents (laughs) don't go to wakefield to come watch your final piece so you kind of went out of drama school went yay i'm an actor what do i do now and i headed back down to london and then ended up working for the big bus company doing tour guides around london which is great. I still know a lot of very interesting facts around there. And then also found I could make stuff up and people believed me. What's the best thing you made up? The the Queen would always show up on one of my tours. It would just be a random BMW, but I'd always, especially if you had um, American tourists on, you'd say, look, I didn't think this was going to happen. It's something we tried to arrange on the timing, but ladies and gentlemen, that's the Queen's car there. She is driving by there if you want to. Yeah, I think she's giving a wave now, and that would increase your tips. Would they go with it? Yeah, yeah. They'd believe you. If you said it with conviction, Yeah. and you used to see Big Ben and go, this is Big Ben, and the big hand's 300 foot long. So big, in fact, it takes a whole 60 minutes for it to get all the way around that face. And maybe they go, oh, wow, that, that's a long time. That's a lot yeah i know right that's during this period did you have an agent not yet no how did you get one and how did you get um, work without an i agent? Uh, here's what i did i found a um down the road from where my parents live was a director of emmerdale farm at the time or just emmerdale and i found out that he worked his dog in the woods near where my parents lived and so i made sure i was at my parents house one day got the dog on the lead and literally stood at the door watching the window, watching him walk by, opened the door, came out went, oh, I was just walking the dog. Are you walking the dog? I was like, wait, you're not. And then started to talk. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And we chatted and we went round for a walk in this wood together and talked. I said, well, you know, I've just graduated. I'm trying to do something. He goes, oh, he goes, oh, I'm looking for someone to do this bit part on Emmerdale at the moment. And, you know, you'd save a lot of time on casting, actually. If, are you interested? You know, we'll do a read. And so I did that, got a, I think it was a policeman. I had like two scenes. And then from that, I then sent out and got my first agent from that because I did a cold call going, I'm on Emmerdale tonight, I'm doing this. And then that's how I got my first agent. Wow. Yeah. I mean, did any part of you, when you waited for him to walk past with his dog, you were probably hoping to get advice, right? Yeah. Not a job. Not not a job. No, I didn't think anything. I just thought, if this is someone, and it's that thing of working for yourself, I've got nothing, I'm here, I'm on the buses, I need to get in somehow. I think I'd done, by that stage, I'd done one of the touring working men's club pantos where four of you turn up, set up your sets, do that. And I did that for a couple of months, which got me my equity card. And I was like, which at the time is a great thing when you first get there, go, I've got equity. And it's brilliant. And I love equity a lot, actually. I'm not going to say anything bad on them because they've helped out Mm -hmm. over the years. And I think we should use them more. And the diary's great. Eventually, you create Potted Potter. How long is it between finishing your training and that happening? It's about, I would say, four, five years. Because I'd done some very strange jobs. I think the close I did, similar to what Potter then became, was I was a one-man storyteller out in Lapland for four months for where they bring their kids out to meet Santa across Christmas in the wow. middle of Lapland. And every evening they'd come into this small theatre with their cups of cocoa and I'd perform a story. 
And I think usually the storyteller they got would sit there reading, and he'd sadly passed away because he was a very old man. And then, <laughs> so I assume is what had happened. This poor old storyteller man. So I came in and came in with lots of like agi props of hats, and I played the king and the princess, and I had puppets and did this whole sort of um ten minute, fifteen minute version of Sleeping Beauty for them for the guests every night. And then it was from that that. A girl I was sort of seeing had seen me do this because I then took this back and was performing it around. And she worked for a PR company, and she goes, "Oh, you know, he likes Harry Potter. He was always reading those books, and he does this weird sort of character thing." And she was working for the PR company, were working for Borders Bookstore in London, who needed something at midnight to help shift the books and entertain the crowd. Not shift the books. The books were going to shift. Let's be clear. That's a terrible yeah. thing. Yeah, we, we, it's selling okay, yeah. but we need something How to. How do we mm, pep it get up. me Dan on the yeah. phone? He's going to shift these books. <laughs> um, no, and so she brought me in, and I came up with this idea of doing this two-hander, fifteen-minute version of all the books in five books in five minutes. And they had this idea of doing a reduced thing and saying, "Could you reduce it?" And I was like, "Yeah, if we do it as a fifteen-minute sketch, and we try and do that." And, and this was, was just it. to entertain the queue of people at midnight to buy the, the six, six books book yeah the sixth book at midnight and then it, it went crazy because I, I bought jeff in um we were both working at two swords at the time at madden two swords um which is another great place because i look at all the actors who were there at the time and now they're all working in the west end or they're casting agents or they're mm-hmm. so you know it's another great place of mixing pots hope you're enjoying the conversation stay with us and we'll be back to the chat in a moment Another way that you can support us is by visiting InsideTheWestEnd.com and making a contribution by clicking on the donate button. Also, if this is your first time listening to our show, then subscribe to the podcast. That way, each episode will just appear in your device as soon as we release it. Now, back to the chat with Dan Clarkson. So how did Potted Potter get from being something which was made as a one-off yeah. to entertain a queue of people buying a book to <laughs> becoming an Olivier-nominated piece of entertainment which has toured the world. Yeah, it's a little crazy. So we did this thing, we're doing it at midnight, and then the PR people, they're a great company, and they get us onto uh, Richard and Judy at the time. And bearing in mind that we're working at Madame Tussauds, not doing a lot, and they're like, yeah, it's like, sorry, what? He goes, yeah, you're going to be the guests on Richard and Judy, so you're going to do your 15-minute bit and then they're going to interview you on the sofa. You're like, do they know who we are? <laughs> like, not really. I go, no, either. Do, why are we on Richard and Judy? Like, well, you're the experts of the book about Midnight, so you're going to talk about the book and stuff. So we do this thing live on Richard and Judy. And Which, for anyone listening who, who is an international listener who doesn't know, oh, right, that's yes. like daytime television, yeah. mid-afternoon. And at the time, this was the one, yeah, Richard the, and Judy, yeah. Richard Madeley and Judy Finnegan. Yeah, big time. Yeah. yeah. I and, mean, prime time, probably millions of people watching, yeah, right? yeah. God, it's making my heart beat fast now. I was <laughs> terrified. So we did this, and that day, and this is where luck and just being in the right place at the right time comes into play. Uh, one of the producers of Blue Peter had come home early from a meeting where they were thinking, what can we do for our book club for Blue Peter? And they couldn't come up with an answer. He'd come home early to come and see his kids. His kids were watching TV laughing. And they're like, what are you watching? Well, these two guys are doing Harry Potter really short. It's really funny. He phones up the PR people. They phoned me directly and went, hey, do you want to come in and do Blue Peter and be in our book club? And you're like, what? I go, yeah, yeah. So we then do that, which then led, and that went on for a year. So 
Potter had sort of got left to one side. And then as we got to the end of our year with Blue Peter... Talking about all sorts of books. We did. They'd give us a book. I think it was every two weeks. They'd give us a book to read. And they go, this week on Book Club, we're looking at this. But if you haven't read the book, here's Dan and Jeff to give you a five-minute recap of what the book's about. And then we'd do this short sort of skit about the book. You um, must have felt like we've yeah. landed on Well, this was it. I was like, we've made it now. Yeah. Once you've done Blue Peter, you've got your badge, and we're on TV twice. I mean, that's it. We're done. We might as well retire now. And then we were, at the, we were invited to the Blue Peter garden party, where you know you've made it. Mm. And we were taken to one side and go, yeah, so we're going to go a different direction next year and not use you guys. So, yeah, so then that stopped, and that was in, I think it was late on in May, June time. It was my mum who said, hey, you know you did that Harry Potter stuff. Why don't you take that up to Edinburgh? Um, there's this theatre that my sister had done a show at the year before and they had a spare slot and they'd just been in touch with her saying, look, I know it's June, we've got a spare slot, do you fancy filling it? Um, so I phoned up, had a chat with the guy and he was like, OK, yeah, let's do this, let's put this on. And it was a 60-seater in zoo venues in Edinburgh. And we, in June, we said we were going to do it. And by July, this had sold out at the Edinburgh Festival, this whole thing. I mean, Jeff to this day jokes that he's never flyered in Edinburgh. He has no idea... Because this was his first Edinburgh and he went up there and everyone's going, oh my God, gain audience. He's going, they just seem to turn up, yeah. to be honest. They just come along. Oh, and we had our flyers and they're like, you won't need those. And like, yeah, but we need to hand them out because please stop handing them out. People want tickets to this. I mean, yeah, I look back and I love to think it was because I went, that's Dan and Jeff who were occasionally on Blue Peter shortening books. Not, that's a show about Harry Potter. Let's go and see it. And isn't there a story about you think J.K. Rowling turned up, and yeah. there was, uh, but there were, it was sold out. So now you always keep a seat empty in yeah, case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, um, and I say think until uh, where was it? A couple of years ago, where I met her at an event, and I, I was terrible. I'm usually all right, as I'm sure you are. You meet people who are important. Well, you meet everybody because they want to get on this podcast. <laughs> I've seen the names and, you get. Did they sit in this chair, by the way? Yeah. Oh, wow, and they sure. talked into this microphone. Oh. If you lick that pop shield, you Has might that got taste. Minch and spit oh, on there it. might be a bit on there. Oh god, yeah. that's that's well, that's giving me shivers. <laughs> anyway, I got really starstruck when I met like J.K. Rowling, like really starstruck, mainly because she knew who we were. Like somebody said, "Oh, this is Dan and Jeff from Potter's Potter." She went, "Oh, Potter's Potter, of course. You must be Dan." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm Dan." <laughs> she went, "Yeah." Anyway, I tried to see your show um years ago, but you were sold out, and oh, I've I've never seen. It. I was like, oh, "I'm Dan." <laughs> and she's like. All right, good. And Jeff was just sort of giggling. <laughs> and then she sort of left. So she did definitely confirm the story and now probably will never come to see her. So she's going, well, not that idiot who just says his name with the giggling guy next to him. But that's <laughs> She must have seen a video of it. Or so I'm sure, yeah. There's stuff on YouTube. We work very closely with her whole sort of legal team and everything, sort of, that they read the scripts and they see what we're doing and yeah, stuff. Yeah. So I'm sure. If she didn't like what you did... Yeah. It wouldn't be allowed to go on. I'm sure. That's what I like to think, yeah. So yeah. you did it in Edinburgh. It inspired so- this show called The Cursed Child, apparently. Yes, that's, that's what I hear. Yeah. That's what I hear. Yeah, I yeah. don't... I can neither confirm <laughs> or deny that. Possibly. <laughs> so who do you play in, in, in that? We're not going to focus just on that, because I know there's okay. many other things going on in your career. Yeah. But just to give an example of the fact it's two people playing every yeah. single character in a Harry Potter from book one to book seven. Yeah. Jeff plays Harry, and I'm everybody else. So I play all 360 other characters. So Voldemort, Hermione, Ron, the dragon, the serpent. And it's that very traditional comedy double act of the straight man and the idiot. Yeah. And my character in the show 
has no knowledge really of Harry Potter and doesn't really know what he's doing and has blown a lot of money on things he shouldn't have done and is trying to make up desperately. Whereas Jeff is that beautiful, almost Ernie Wise-esque, pompous character who's like, this will be fine. And as long as I keep on going, me as Harry Potter, the audience won't notice, everything's going to be okay. And then he keeps on setting himself up for a higher fall from this idiot bumbling around behind him. So this has developed into a massive thing. As we said, it's, it's nominated for an Olivier Award when it comes to London. Yeah. Uh, and then you end up touring around the world. I mean, the ones that spring to mind that I, I mentioned, I'm sure there's ones I don't even know about, but Australia, yeah. Canada, uh, it's played New York, it's yeah. played Broadway. Yeah. Um, I mean, it starts this, to get surreal, really, doesn't it? And you're talking about something which started as entertainment for a queue of people yeah. queuing to buy a book. I mean, the, the ludicrous thing, I... The way the reason we use the props we do and the stuff we've got in it is because we were literally two broke actors. Mm. And this came out of my younger brother, who at the time, because we're going back 10 years ago now, so at the time he was sort of very young. This was from his fancy dress box. So this is stuff that we took, like the wigs and the hats, and we rehearsed it in my parents' living room. Like we'd set up and we move the sofas out of the way and we go, right, here's our set, we're going to hang a sheet here, and that's where it comes from. And then to track on... And I'm only saying because it's a moment in my life I remember of standing in Times Square and one of the video projectors puts up the Potted Potter poster with my name on it and you're just like, uh, this is just getting silly now. This is really ridiculous. And stood and my dad was with me at the time. He's like, yeah, you remember you did that in our living room? I was like, yeah, I know. That's, yeah. We very rarely speak to people who have worked both in London and New York. Yeah. Working on Broadway is seen as this massive dream. It's almost like the ultimate goal if you grow up in the UK working yeah. in theatre. Is it that dream that people think kids it's i found with everything and because i remember going to new york the year before potter went out there and going around and almost joking going can you imagine if it was here no it'll never happen it'll never happen but i think with everything that when it happens you're or for me anyway your body and your brain can't comprehend what's happened and immediately go right so what's next then this is brilliant yeah we've done you know no well done well done pat yourself on the back now what's next and you're there going no no shouldn't we be really going oh my god we're here go, no 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 time what yeah. are we going to do next what's going to happen but it, it still is a dream i mean you're still in new york and you get i got to spend a whole summer out there and everyone's really close in new york because all the theaters on broadway and we were we were strictly speaking off broadway by one seat because it's all about the seat numbers, what right. makes you a Broadway house. And literally this, uh, we were at the Little Schubert, which has 499 seats, so it can be a just-off-Broadway one, but it was still on 42nd Street, so I think that still counts. Oh, yeah, know, yeah. Geographically, well, that's yeah. fine, yeah. yeah, yeah. The way the theatres are so close is that everyone knows everyone, and everyone drinks at the same bars, and we were out there the same time as One Man, Two Governors, and so hung out with a lot of them as well, because you were all there at the same time, and you, everyone sort of, all the theatres come out on top of each other, and then all the actors come out on top of each other, as opposed to where the West End, you can often feel it's sort of a bit spread out. So you're working, creating your own work, and it's doing really well. Yeah. Um, also, in this period, it's worth mentioning that you work for CBBC. Oh, yeah, we yeah presented for them for 18 months. You know, that came out of... Um, we'd done Potted Potter and been touring the UK for a while, and then we came up with our second show, Potted Pirates, uh, the critically ignored Potted Pirates. <laughs> um, everything you wanted to know about pirates. Turns out not many people did want to know things about pirates. Who knew? Um, but... A someone from the BBC came to watch it in Wales randomly with their kids and then pulled us in to 
do, to see if we could work as writers on scripts and development with them. And we were sat in the office of the development people and a guy stuck his head around the door and he goes, does anyone know anyone that we could get to cover weekend shifts on presentation? And this guy went, well, I've got these two. Do you want to send them down? He's like, yeah, might as well. The other guy hasn't shown up. So we're then taken down to the studio, put in a room, given a piece of paper going, can you say this? Said it. And then the next day they're like, yeah, do you want to present for us? So that's, again, a lot of the right place in the right time. And then we did that. And that was one of the funnest jobs. I mean, that was all on earpieces doing live TV. And when you've got a producer in your ear going, can you be sillier? And that's your note. It's going, we love what you're doing. Can you just be silly? And like, yeah, we can up the ante. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. If, if you want silly, you've yeah. got the right guy. Yeah, we're, we're going to go for this now. And then you had actual, I mean, coming from theatre and the difference from coming from especially UK touring theatre to working for the BBC, where when you get this prop mistress who we had would say right what do you need you go well on this one i think we were saying I- i'm dressed as a robot and then jeff comes in as this evil villain in a floating car and then the next day you turn up and here was this big robot suit built for you in this car that looked like it hovered and then she so started up in the ante going on this one we have a 20 foot cat that poor comes in here and i'm eating and you're like yeah yeah no and if, sure enough there would be that thing the next day and you and you also realized when you were doing live mornings if you could write a sketch with a cooked breakfast in it they'd make you and bring you a cooked breakfast and when you've been in since 6am and your first link is at 9 and you're going in this one I should be eating a bacon sandwich yeah. oh, well here's your bacon sandwich, yeah. brilliant, thanks very we much we need a bacon sandwich th- theme here guys yeah. it's really can be yeah. snappy on. on this bacon, lots yeah. of bacon today, yeah. bring yeah. that in <laughs> so you're creating your own work right, at this point, you're, and I'm guessing you're, write, are you writing, you're writing the sketches for CBBC yeah, 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 we were writing the links with the producers and stuff, and you've been writing Potted Potter and Potted Pirates, yeah. and you're probably already thinking about Potted Panto and and maybe Potty Sherlock's coming further down the line. Yeah. When you left drama school, you were trained as an actor yeah. um, with the ability to create stuff. But what you wanted to do for work, did it change? I never thought this was the dream. I mean, one, Harry Potter hadn't been written at the time. So, you know, a lot of people say, if I'd gone back in time, yeah, I could have... If I'd gone back in time, I would have just pretended I came up with the idea and written the books myself. It's what I would have done. Yeah. <laughs> also, the whole family theatre as well wasn't the dream. It was... I knew I wanted to work in comedy, and I really liked sketch comedy. And I've been in so many sketch comedy groups that have done the Brighton Festival or done the Canal Cafe and never quite got anywhere. They always hit a wall. And a lot of the time was um, that it wasn't myself writing them. We were just performers and the writers would suddenly panic or not be happy. And so everything would halt and stop. And so a lot of the stuff writing my own stuff was just to, at the time, keep control of that. And that was both myself and Jeff were like, if we can do this ourselves, it's ours and we can do what we want with it. And if we don't want to do it, we'll stop. But if we do, we can carry on, which obviously at some point you have to give up that to an extent to producers and trust people but do you have to like surely you could keep working in in the guys you are now yeah but you still as an actor crave to do other things yeah oh i think so yeah and you also as something grows you have to allow other people to give their creative input into it and Mm -hmm. you can't it's almost like i guess it's like having your first child and you're very protective and you don't want anyone else touching this child it's yours and so you want to do the set and you want to do the lights and you want to do the sound and you want but you get to a point of like a sound designer going well this is what i do and trust me i'll make it at the moment it's you and you've sat there with a microphone next to a tape player recording Mm. i can make that sound better and then a lighting guy going all you're doing is turning the lights on and off what i could do is bring other colors in and so you have to start letting the other people sort of put their creative input into it and then at there comes a time where you do want to do other projects, so you have to bring in other actors to take over from you. 
And that's really like giving up your child to somebody else. Does that change how you view something you created? Has it ever made it's, you address your performance, watching another actor play the same part as you? Yeah, well, I don't think anyone's ever been better than me. If they're <laughs> no. listening to this, yeah. no one has been. Um, no, but you watch it. They, they, everyone's brought different styles, and there's been moments where I've gone, that's brilliant. And there's stuff in the show now that I will happily admit it wasn't me who came up with it. I, I honed it and put it into the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't me. <laughs> I'm just trying to protect myself so they don't all come back and go, can I have a royalty for that? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you can no. have nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely not. But it is, it's the most surreal thing because I work as an associate director now on Potter. So on the times I do work with it, it's, it's a very out-of-body experience mm. watching somebody else. Like a lot of actors, I bet you hear it more than anyone, have an idea of something they want to do, right? Yeah. Something they want to write, something they want to develop. But most don't do it. What advice would you give to someone who's in that position? Do it. Just, Just do, it. do it. Just write it down. But I where do you begin? You begin, you get a pen and a bit of paper. And even if it's a note, even if you wake up in the middle of the night and write a note. And I remember um, Mischief Theatre who do the play that went wrong, which mm. I think is phenomenal. And I've talked to a few people or named nameless a bit, bit going, oh, yeah, but that's, you know, we could have done that. It's like, yeah, but you didn't. Mm. And they did do it and they did it well. And they were, again, a group of friends who got together, had this idea and did it. And they committed to it and they worked on it. And they worked very hard on it. And, you know, the success they've got is so well deserved. The worst thing is going having an idea and going, oh, but it could fail. And if it's going to fail, then I shouldn't do it. It's not ready. And then you watch something coming out and you go, oh, well, I could have done that better. And it's like, well, then do mm. it, you know, and don't be worried about it failing. A lot of stuff I've done has failed. A lot of stuff we're still doing, you know, isn't as good or doesn't quite make it. But then you sort of pick yourself up and try again. It doesn't sound like you've ever considered leaving the industry. No, I, I actually got close um, just before... We did uh, the first ever Harry Potter thing at the bookstore. I was assistant entertainments manager at Madden Two Swords, and they were chatting to me about if I was interested in becoming the Ents manager and then working for Two Swords. And the guy who was working there at the time said, you know, and we could use you globally to go around all the different Two Swords and put the shows in and work with them. And it was a very long, hard think of going, okay, well, maybe this is where my life's going to go. And may, but there was still something in me that was like, if you do this, you won't forgive yourself mm-hmm. and you won't, you know. And it's what it's whatever it is inside us that makes us do what we do, where we can't walk away from it. Yeah. And it takes. And I have so much respect for anyone who gives it a shot and then goes, no, I'm going to now do this, or I'm mm. going to go here, and I wish I could. I spend a lot of my life living out of a suitcase. I can tell you about a lot of holiday inns around the world. Um and you come back home and you realise you've missed the weddings of your friends, you've missed the christenings, you've missed the birthdays, you missed the 30th, and just these moments. And, and so it can be really lonely, sort of always reaching for that thing. And you know, I was about to say chasing the dragon, but that means something completely <laughs> different. <laughs> you know, in the Harry Potter term. Yeah. Yeah. Um... yeah. Chasing that dragon, <laughs> the entertainment dragon. Wow. I'm going to swiftly change the subject because I, I want to make it clear that we're not recommending to anyone that they should chase the dragon. No, 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 no. We have a question we ask everyone. Mm-hmm. And um, you, as someone who's listened to the podcast, oh, yeah. you may be aware of what this is. Go and on. it is, is show business a game you need to learn how to play? Um, you have asked this before and I'm always impressed with the answers. And you've reminded me now of where I was yesterday in a coffee shop thinking, I need to come up with a good answer for that. And then I did something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I wrote another Olivier nominated yeah, piece. Yes. And then I just thought, no, I'll busk it. Yeah. It's, it is a game. It's definitely a game. And the rules are constantly changing to it. There are so many ways you can play it. I think that's the difference. 
like with a really good game there's so many ways you can play it defensively or on the attack or but there's no correct way to play it and you have to play it for what's right with you how do you play the game then i'm not sure i think it's knowing when to shut up there that's how you play the game Okay. Knowing when to just shut up and when to... Is that your way of saying stop asking the same question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Learn when to shut up, Rob. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, and you've got to be humble. And that comes naturally for you. And you see the people very quickly who aren't. I mean, in no other profession does anyone constantly congratulate you on what you're doing. A guy came in to fix my pipes on my sink in my flat the other day. And when he finished, I didn't start applauding him going, no, well done. Well done. Mm. Give me some more of that. It's like, mm. yeah, you did your job. Yet in our profession, for some reason, we like to be told that we're doing well. And, you know, when you meet someone, like the first thing you say, it's like, oh, you're doing really well at the moment. Oh, well done for that. And it's like we have this urge that we have to congratulate each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not sure why that is. The other question we ask everybody is what advice would you give to anyone who wanted to work inside the West End? I think, one, don't give up and don't worry if it doesn't happen immediately. Some people will happen straight away. You walk in and you get your first audition and that'll be great. Um, But if it doesn't happen, don't get disheartened. And also, don't be afraid to start at the bottom. Like... It, it is a lot of hard work. There are these moments of these people who walk into the casting room and they go, it's you, we knew we wanted you, and that's it, and your career's made. But it is a lot of hard work, and don't be afraid to put in that hard work. And to be really cheeky. I mean, you know, going back to that walking the dog thing, just do it, be mm. cheeky. If you see somebody, go for it. I mean, I was living, and this will be a bit different because it's not the West End, but I was out in L.A. for a while. And the one thing a casting director told me there is, well, get in touch. You know, we're not going to be angry you've got in touch. Don't hassle us. Don't put glitter inside an envelope and think you're doing something quirky. But, yeah, get in touch. And, yeah, if you haven't heard anything, get in touch again in a month later and see how we're doing. And every casting director is looking for you. Dan Clarkson, thank you so, so much (laughs) for taking the time to come and talk to me. Potted Panto is in the West End this Christmas. Christmas. Where's it on? When's it Uh, on? What do people expect from it? It's on at the Garrick theatre um it'll be on from i think it's december the 10th mm-hmm. if i'm wrong check out www.pottedpanto.com and all the information's there um we do eight of the very nice christmas pantomimes in 90 minutes it's a lot of silly fun and if you love panto come and watch it and we have a lot of fun with it if you hate panto come and watch it as so we deconstruct it and say how silly it really is and yeah it's also cheaper than the Palladium pantomime. But, you know, so there you go. So you save a bit of money for Christmas as well, and it is for the whole family. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with Rob for the podcast. What an inspiring guy. I loved that interview. I just find him absolutely brilliant. Potted Panto actually opened yesterday at the Garrick Theatre in the West End. I mean that alone a show that they they formed from from nothing is now running in the West End over Christmas Uh, I I just think it's amazing anyway it runs until January the 15th it's worth noting that all the performances are actually early in the day the morning or the afternoon 11am 1pm 4pm at the Garrick Theatre and the tickets are far cheaper than the other pantos in the West End so if you're looking for one to bring your family along to see go and see this one pottedpanto.com for more information I'll be in Glasgow with the commitments for the next three weeks right over Christmas. Do let me know if you're coming along to see the show. And as always, check out Inside West End on Twitter to find out who's going to be the guest on our next episode in two weeks' time, Christmas Day. In the meanwhile, thank you for listening. (laughs) 